Recording in progress. Okay. It's going to be a great time. Oh, boy. Okay. Does that sound interesting? Damn, I look so good. Right, let's just wait. You ready? Four hours later. Dear tech. Oh, laughing hurts. Dear Tech fam, welcome to another episode of the Dear Tech podcast, where we discuss the tech workforce, providing transparency through experience and expert insight. I'm Fran Grader, and this is Shubo Ghosh. Shubo, how's it going? It's going great. I'm really excited to uh, share our first guest interview with everyone, right? We had a really good time chatting with Elle um, and going over uh, her background, HR, and a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, it was a lot of fun um, talking with her. Yep. Totally agree. Um, so for everyone, all our guests listening in, um, Elle, Elle Anderson is an OG friend of mine back from our tech recruiting days in the agency. Um, we've known each other for a number of years now. And during this conversation, we were really excited to talk to Elle about her experience um, in her master's program in Dublin and also her thesis, which was titled Contrasting Perceptions of HR Leadership and exiting employees regarding the great resignation. That was a mouthful. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. During that, I think a lot of like the interesting points that jumped out to me, Shuba, I know that we talked about um, were obviously the great resignation in general, but also the, the change and how the viewpoint, not only from employees and candidates, but also HR and leadership has really drastically changed from when she wrote that thesis back in 2022 to now and obviously the kind of interesting um transition of how quickly the tech industry evolves and changes um what other highlights jumped out to you no i think it was i think it was just really interesting that we had the conversation when we did because it was so different from when the thesis was but we were able to look back and really look at it in hindsight, which I think made it very valuable for us going forward. Um, but I think for most of all, like it's just a bunch of really good information from an HR perspective, which a lot of people don't think that they can ask freely or get. Uh, so to everyone listening, I would say, ask us more questions. We can get Elle back on the show. And uh, well, if her schedule permits, you know, she can't just come <laughs> on whenever uh, she, she is busy, but you know, we can, we can have her back and, and answer these questions for y'all, but it was a lot of good insight. Totally. hundred percent agree. Well, everyone, we hope you enjoy listening in, um, comment, share, ask us questions as you're listening in and things come up or you have ideas that come up or questions that come up throughout the conversation. We're super excited to hear your feedback and enjoy the conversation. I'm trying to learn the lingo for these things so I can say it and sound like I know shit, right? I'm like, it's like oh, where they all converge. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. I was like, this has to be a place. Maybe it's like a city within a city. <laughs> yeah. Good question. So, okay. So something I'm curious about, and I, you wrote it down, but I want, I want details. So how do y'all know each other? <laughs> we used to work together. <laughs> so is this kind of like trauma bonding? Is that how you guys became friends? Uh, yeah. Oh, 100%. for sure. <laughs> There's so many days I spent like hiding in Franny's office. Yeah. Avoiding yeah. people that wanted things from me. I'm trying to yeah, think we of like good stories. I don't even, ha I don't have any, nothing is coming to mind. I really liked the one. Okay. So we worked at a an agency together, tech systems. Shubo worked at an agency too. So we've all been in agency life. Um, 
but we worked at Tech Systems together. I'm totally spacing. Were you there before me or was I there before you? You were there before me because I remember talking to you when I came in for my oh. interview. Oh, yeah. You had just gotten back from your Thailand trip. Actually, and I was having really funny poop story. problems. Oh, this is TMI. I'm, but not, you edit- can share I'm not editing it. that out. You I'm not can editing share that out. It. Oh, God. I'm not editing that out at all. Fuck. You were like, um, I just yeah. came back from Thailand and I'm having a really hard time going. <laughs> like, I just met you. <laughs> Oh, I feel I like usually no it's the other way around when you come back from like places like I in have the no East. shame. It's whenever I travel. Apparently, it happened when I just got back from Mexico. I got food poisoning too, so apparently oh, it's man. a theme for me. <laughs> um, Friend, but yeah, you gotta I bring your no own shame. water places. I know. I think it was the ice. I have no shame. Never when it comes get to ice people. outside of America. I know that was my problem. Um, but yeah, we worked together for probably like two, three years. Three? I want to say it's three years. Two, three years? Yeah. So I had started, and I started working there December of 2015, I want to say, and then I left in 2019, and I was, I was in the account management role when you joined, or I was still recruiting? You were still recruiting when I joined, and then you were promoted shortly after, I believe. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so we went through all of our tech systems agency days together and then, um, we kind of have a, some, a lot of the same friends all from tech in LA who stayed in touch after everyone left. Um, we saw a couple girl people rang. there. Literally none of us yeah. work for tech systems anymore. <laughs> Just one. There's one individual. We, we like still know a few people who work Wait, there. Wait, who? Ashley. Oh, that's right. You're right. I won't name drop should... anyone in case we talk about them, but. <laughs> Were you recruiting too? Yeah. Elle? No, I was in. So they call it customer support associate. It's mm-hmm. HR for the client <laughs> side of the house. Okay. They, they had this weird distinction where they didn't want to call my role human resources because they had a corporate HR office. But what I was doing was like administrative HR for our clients and a little bit for our our, um, offices, the -hmm. offices that we oversaw, but like mainly payroll, background checks, onboarding. Okay. Yeah. And then I started getting involved with like really large projects um, and really partnering with specific account managers to go on site and help them with like the really big projects and that's where i ended up towards the end of my time with them mm-hmm. okay and so then i mean you, perfect segue oh go ahead how did you find yourself sorry i'm asking one more question how did you find yourself at tech i don't even remember that like how did you get there i was recruited like cold called oh. not cold called but someone messaged me on linkedin yeah and i was like okay Sounds good. <laughs> Were you fresh out of college like everyone else at agencies? I was not fresh out of college. I was maybe, I was two years out of college okay. and I was like very lost in what I wanted to do with my career. I was working in like a sales role for um, Nordstrom. Like I, I wasn't doing anything really all that exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd done a lot of like customer service type positions after college and I wanted to try to translate that into like a more corporate facing sure. function in some way. And HR just like made a lot of sense to do that. 
Okay, so then to to my segue from before, <laughs> which kind of still works. Uh, so so what what was what was your let's go go through your journey. So after after tech, what what was your what was your journey? Oh gosh, so <laughs> I was it's a it's a story. It's a doozy. <laughs> we got time. I got laid off uh, from tech systems during the pandemic in like October of 2020. So I ended up working through the pandemic for what is that like seven eight months. Um, and I just found myself in this place where no one was hiring because they weren't investing in non-production roles. Um, and I was fumbling like, well, it was, what am I going to do? I don't have a job. Um, and I took the moment to like really think about what I wanted my career to look like. And I thought that pursuing a master's degree made the most sense for me. Um, to get me to the next level of the type of like more strategic human resources I really wanted to do instead of the very like administrative tasks. Um, so I started exploring different master's programs and I found out that uh, most master's programs in Europe are only a year long as opposed to a two-year program in the States. Um, on top of that, it is far more economical um, to do schooling in Europe. Um, just with the way that they price tuition and whatnot. Even as a non-EU student, it was a significant savings for me. Um, what was like the comp difference? Just if you don't mind sharing, like ballpark. Oh, for sure. My So out of pocket for my tuition at Trinity, I paid 21,000 euro for my entire program. Damn. And the schools I was looking at in the U.S., were like fifty to seventy five thousand a oh, year, so double that because it's a two year program. A Holy year, hell. and that's just tuition. That's not including like living expenses. Yeah. So wait, did they, was the twenty one thousand encompassing living expenses in in? No, in, it doesn't. Okay. Neither of those okay. figures are covered. Living I, expenses, I was ready to move. I was like, I'm there. Still though, that's insane. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Still, yeah. I mean, out the door, I paid. You know, still less than what I would have paid one for one year in the States. Wow. That is um, So it just made sense to me to do that. And I'd found myself at a time where I was available. I didn't have anything else going on and the pandemic was still in full force. Um, so I ended up accepting a spot in a cohort at Trinity College Dublin over in Ireland. Um, moved there for a year, did my program, came back. Uh, to do my dissertation research because I was really focusing on American tech companies and I felt like it would be easier to conduct that research from Los Angeles <laughs> as opposed to like an eight-hour time difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, finished up my dissertation, graduated in November of 2022 with a first-class honors, which is like... Hey. Yeah, that's, that's the highest honors you can get. <laughs> It's like getting a four point Congrats. in the U.S. They have like a very different grading system. Uh. Um, and I found myself at my current organization working as a generalist. So that what was awesome. the master's, the master slash education? What was like, what would you say was different from like when you did undergrad in the U.S. and doing your master's in, in Europe? Was there like big differences or like what was that experience like? There was really big difference, like I said, in the grading scale. Um in the U.S., a 4.0 is, like, very attainable. Like, they, you know, your teachers want you to ace the test and get the best grade that you can. In Europe, 
they set the bar a lot higher and they don't expect people to get there and that's how they hold their accreditation. So, for example, their grading scale is a 50 to, oh, what was it? 50 to 60 is a lower second class honors and then 60, oh shoot, I'm forgetting how it works. She deleted it as soon as she's just done. She's like, I'm out. (laughs) Okay, well, all this to say, if you get a 70, that's a great score. Like, that Mm. is getting an A. And, like, I had to really adjust my perspective on grading because I was like, why am I not getting 100? What's wrong with me? (laughs) I'm trying so hard. And, like, all of my Irish uh, peers were like, what are you talking about? That's a great, that's a great (laughs) score. But the reason they do that is so that they can hold these, like, you know, the standard really high and say, like, we only let in the top, you know, 5% mm. of applicants and yada, yada. Um, so that was really different. Lifestyle was super different. Um, not having a car, like, having to walk to get my groceries and, like, I can only get the groceries I can carry back get with me. Cart. Yes. One of those little No, I didn't. I had a bag. I should have gotten a cart. Um, Having to look the other way before I cross the street because they drive on the other side of the street. That, like, really messed me up when I came back to the U.S. for a little bit. (laughs) I'd, like, find myself driving and I'd be like, oh, my God, wait, am I on the right side of the road? (laughs) Um, And then the other thing that was really different from, like, an HR perspective, they just approach things a lot differently um for example in the u.s when we think of benefits i think we first go to medical benefits like what kind of medical package am i going to get for my employer they have universalized health care so that is not what their Mm -hmm. benefits packages are theirs are more like we get a company car or you know you get a free cell phone or we have a great perk where you we pay for your gym membership like that's the kind of benefits that they really include in their packages Actually, there's this one class that I was taking, um, and somehow the topic of, like, covering IVF and, like, fertility treatments came up, and how this one, it was, we were looking at a case study, and how this American CEO came into some European company and wanted to institute, like, IVF and fertility treatment being covered under whatever their plan was, and me and my two American, uh, peers were like wow that's really awesome like that's great they should for sure do that because that's really expensive and all of my european peers were so deeply offended by that um because the insinuation is then that you should put your life on hold we'll pay for your treatments if you want to have kids later but right now you need to be dictated by work and the wow the perception of that is just so different in the u.s versus europe um because that doesn't exist. That, like, pressure. It, I shouldn't say it doesn't exist. It's it's a very personal thing for them. Wow. We, I think I remember who I was just talking about, too, how I think this is all of Europe where you get a year off for mat leave, <laughs> right? And it's paid? It depends on it depends on the country. Like, the Scandi oh, okay, countries right. are three years. What? what? Oh, she went supersonic on us. Oh. Wow. Like Norway, Sweden, Finland, it's it's several years. It's not just one year. Um, huh. I know Germany is one year. I don't know. I, it depends on the, the country. Did so I the say one... state before? I meant country. 
<laughs> no, you said country, I think. But so the country, so the countries that are doing one year are like slacking, right? Like they're not doing yeah. enough. That's the bit. That's the bar is on the, the floor for them. Wild. Meanwhile, over here in the U.S., we yeah. have no federally mandated <laughs> maternity leave. That's wild. Wow. Fun times. Fun times. Okay, so lesson learned: if you're if you want to have kids, let's think about moving to another country for the time being. <laughs> Move to Scandinavia. Let's yeah. Do it. Yeah. That's literally insane. Norway's really pretty. I mean, uh, I had an aunt that used to live there, and it was just bonkers beautiful. I've never. Oh my gosh, me and my sisters are trying to plan a Sweden and Norway trip. (gasps) Oh my god, I love that so much. I'm so excited. Um. Well, thank you for the overview. That was super helpful. Um. And good to learn about your background. Um. What do you? What do you think? was like the biggest benefit or how do you like hope to leverage your degree moving forward? Like I knew when you first were talking about like you thought like going into it, you were thinking like that would be like the best next step for you in terms of where you want to go in terms of like strategic HR. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like that's going to benefit you the most or what you took away from that experience? So it's kind of, two trains of thought for this um the first being a confidence thing for me i got Mm. my undergraduate degree in something totally unrelated that i Mm. i don't know i've like kind of carried some shame around for like picking that because i was 18 and i didn't know what i was doing and i didn't have the foresight to think about like career down the line Mm -hmm. Um, so my undergraduate degree is in theater which Mm. what what do you do with that um it's cool, though. Great soft skills. Public speaking? I mean, very transferable skills, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, but going and getting a master's degree from a really prestigious school, doing really well in it, did, like, a lot for my confidence in what I wanted to pursue for my career. I felt like I had been working in the space for so long, but I didn't feel validated that like I was the subject matter expert because I had just learned on the job it wasn't something that I studied or like was able to really I don't know show that I had some like hard like proof evidence other than just like what I was doing at work um so in that way it really boosted my confidence made me feel really validated in my career and my career choices and the second part of that is I feel like a lot of people miss the mark on, like, what human resources is. I think people just go to, oh, it's payroll or, oh, it's just if you're going to be on a PIP and you're in trouble and you're they're going to fire you. And <laughs> that's not necessarily all that the human resources industry really covers. You know, there's organizational development, change management, learning and development employee relations like it's a whole practice and it's like an umbrella and there's so many different specialized things underneath it and going and pursuing a master's degree where you're going beyond theory and you're actually looking at how these theories are translated into practice I think really helped me hone in on like the areas that I wanted to actually work in and also gave me experience in what that would be like apart from just like working in a administrative HR function in an office. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also being able to conduct my own research was just 
I really enjoyed it. I know there are some people that hated their dissertation, but I thought it was really fun, um, probably because I picked um, a qualitative study where I actually had to go and, like, talk to people mm. and interview them about something I cared about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that research skills are incredibly, incredibly important if you're going to be in an HR function. Um, just with the nature of HR, it changes a lot. You know, labor laws, legislation change, you know, every day, um, trends, what people want, what employees want, how organizations are um, shifting to meet the needs are that's always changing, generational needs. Um, so being able to research and go out and find not only just like what people are doing, but actually quality data or quality um, suggestions is really important if you're going to be in HR. So with with that being said, I will I want to know from the time of you doing your research, your mindset going into the topic that you that you wrote about and now being, quote unquote, on the other side. Right. Kind of like in in a sense, because like you seem like a very big advocate for the people in the paper right that's that's how i got it that's how i took it Mm -hmm. but it was but in it was it was objective but it was like it could have someone could have like you mentioned in your dissertation it gets ignored right those things get get ignored and i'm not gonna speak to it because i'll let you speak to it but now that you're kind of on the other side looking this way where you're you're looking at employees coming in or working in the companies um has that changed your perception or like what is the what is the difference or what is, what was reinforced based on that i'm gonna pop um, before you answer that will you give us a brief summary of your dissertation and takeaways just for so people okay have context. yes <laughs> sure <laughs> so my dissertation looked at the relationship between um why hr leadership thought that employees were leaving organizations and why employees were actually leaving organizations during the great resignation and i specifically was honing in on american tech companies because you know during um covid they were continuing to grow they were actually doing quite well fiscally speaking but they were still bleeding people from their workforce like they weren't able to stop the attrition um, so I, that's what I looked at. I, I interviewed five different HR leaders and then 15 um, people that were exiting their employment during COVID. Um, and then I just looked at the correlation between the two to see if there was anything that aligned or didn't align. What key things stuck out to you? Um, there was a disconnect between practice and policy. So what the organization was saying was important to them or policies that they had versus um, the things that they were actually doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. For example, we want to advocate people in our organization to pursue their career and we want to provide professional development. Yet employees were reporting that they weren't receiving quality feedback from their managers. They weren't getting performance reviews. They felt like the PD in their organization was really lacking. So there was just not alignment between what the organization was saying they wanted versus how they were actually mm-hmm. going about it. Yeah. Um, I think that there was a huge shift in control uh, during this time from the employer to the employee and that organizations were really struggling with that because for so long it's been that 
organizations kind of get to do what they want and the employees have to follow suit. And if they don't like it, then, you know, they get axed. But in this case, (laughs) that had switched completely and organizations were like, what do you want? Like, we'll give it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I think that the landscape now is a lot different. Um, Just considering the economy today versus what it was like a year, year and a half ago. Um, I don't think that the employees have so much of the power as they did during the Great Resignation times. Um, but I digress. Those um, no, no, don't don't Shuba, digress. Re- Shuba, repeat your question. Sorry, I just wanted to give some context. No, no, that's fine. But actually, so uh, don't digress because that that was going to be my question in terms of uh, the change in landscape, right? And so, um, and I think Fran and I have discussed like what brought that about. But like from from what you saw, going from like literally bleeding employees to now layoffs and the current economy Mm -hmm. um what and i'm not trying to put you on the spot but what do you think was the shift i think it's fear you know um and whether that this was you know like a grand scheme plan that politicians or whatnot had in place to like force people back into the office um i'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist i mean i think it's fear i have the tinfoil hat i'm I'm here for it yeah (laughs) get my spaghetti strainer um I feel like people are just afraid of what's going to happen. And, you know, they, we keep, you know, getting reports that we're on the precipice of a, a recession. I think people are afraid of leaving comfort and secure, stable income for something that maybe will be better. But, oh, what if they get fired or what if they don't make it through the recession? I, I think people are going with what's comfortable right now and trying to, like, just tread water while we see what happens. I mean, we haven't formally entered a recession yet, but they keep saying it's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, so to to address that. So, I, okay, I'm going to throw out a conspiracy theory. Not con, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to say something. And just you tell me what you think and you can tell me I'm flat, like I'm being stupid. But do you, so there's been a lot of talk of like companies overhired in mm-hmm. that that time, right? Do you think that they overhired or were they hiring to like match their attrition and then all of a sudden everyone got scared and stopped leaving and they didn't slow down in time, and that's what mm-hmm. caused the overhiring. Because the the fact the point you make is right, right? Like people were leaving in droves, and these tech companies like, okay, we need engineers because I don't know, I'm gonna lose fifteen percent tomorrow. So they kept going, and then people yep. stopped leaving, and they're like, are they are they done leaving? Oh, okay, damn, we just got thirty percent too many people, right? Like, is it something? I like definitely that? think it's the latter. That that's yeah. my take, at least. Right. Yeah. Because you know we can track attrition rates. That's pretty easy to look at. Yeah. What do you mean you overhired? Interesting. Okay. Cool. All right. I, I'm, I need more tinfoil. We're about to put the tinfoil, tinfoil hats on. Um. But yeah, no. So, okay, then I can't remember what the original question. Oh uh, no, I have. I, I, I have them written down. I, I took notes. But actually, I, I just asked like sixteen questions. Fran, do you, you want to jump in, or you want me to go to my? Um, I think we kind of covered this. A little bit with that last statement but from from your thesis and the takeaways that you had from it in you submitted it July of last year right July 2022 (laughs) you're like it's all blacked out of my memory um from July 2022 to now so for everyone listening it's 
August 2023. So literally just about a year time. Is there anything you would change about your dissertation or what do you think has changed in the year since then? From what you learned in all of your conversations and the research that you did? Um, I don't think that there's anything I would necessarily change about like the structure of how I conducted my thesis. Like my methodology, I think was quite sound. Yeah. Um, if I were to change one thing, and this would have just been a time thing. If I had more time to do it, I would have had more participants. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I only had 20, um, which when you're doing a qualitative study, you can have a smaller data pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have more rich answers and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I wish I had the time to have, you know, interviewed 50 HR leaders and 50 exiting employees to have yeah. more just validity around my themes. Mm-hmm. What's changed? I mean, again, it's just, I think that the landscape's different. I, I kind of feel like the research I did is now null and void. Like it doesn't really mm. matter anymore. Mm. Um, because people aren't necessarily leaving for the same reasons anymore. I mean, they are, but not at the rate that they were. Mm-hmm. So, I think your research is solid, but because people are scared, they're not being active. I think they want the same things that you mentioned. And like, mm-hmm. had they had, had, ha, had they have, have they, if they had the opportunity <laughs> to leave, they would leave, but they're not yeah, because they're absolutely. scared. Right. So I think your research yeah. is spot on and it's going to be, it's like one of those things that's going to be accurate for a long time. I know that's. I saw someone, one of the one of the researcher researchers you cited, said that pay had nothing to do with like people leaving. Um, I think I think you mentioned of that. And I, I was it just. Does. I was like, <laughs> but the, but the, you know the funny thing is, then they go on to say that that um, growth opportunities is a reason for them to stay. And I'm like, yeah, but that is money, right? Growing mm-hmm. when you grow in a position, you probably get paid more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not always the same, but you know, if you say I'm never going to promote you, but I'll give you more money, you're going to lose the person eventually, right? Because eventually the promotion will give them the money that you're giving them. Mm-hmm. So I think your research solid. I just think right now it's not choice anymore. That's the difference, right? Your, your research right. is all about People choice. People are in survival mode right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of going off of what you just said, I know I talk about this somewhere in my dissertation. Um, it's also seems to be that HR within the, the, the people that I, I, wow. What just happened in my life? It brain? happens to us all the time. All the time. <laughs> the HR leaders that I interviewed, this was a very common theme that came up, that HR was very aware of why people were leaving, and they were trying to convey that to other leadership in different aspects of their organization, and it was falling on deaf ears, and that there was just a general resistance from higher-ups to take a new approach and try something new. Um, and that, you know, if, if the X, Y, and Z worked, you know, the past five, 10, 15 years, then we're going to keep doing that. We're not going to embrace the change. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily that organizations have no idea that this is happening. I think they do. And they're just sticking their head in the sand and pretending like it's not happening and biding their time until the tide shifts, which it now has. I thought that was so interesting. That was a point that I had I had written down in my notes too after reading through your dissertation that, that you just mentioned how 
Because I'll be totally honest. I think because I think so often from an employee perspective, HR is is viewed as that like front line, like they're the POCs for those conversations, obviously, that happen when it's like a promotion or pay increase or like a lot of those reasons you mentioned why why people are leaving companies. HR, your HR partner is typically like the front line of communication for those conversations. So I think so often the view and perspective can be like, oh, HR doesn't care or HR doesn't know what they're talking about or HR isn't tapped into what's happening in the industry right now. But I think from your research, just like you said, like that's actually not true. Like HR is very much so informed, tapped into the market and aware of what's happening. But unfortunately, they're not the ones who sign the checks and make the decisions. There's a gap after HR. spot on. I feel like a lot of people have an assumption that HR is the one running these companies and they are not. They are just carrying out orders that are given to them. Mm -hmm. Um, We advocate the best we can for, you know, things that we're hearing in the workforce or trends we're seeing. Um, We can bring research and try to back up what we're suggesting that organizations Mm -hmm. do, but we do not have final say. Yeah. Do you think that HR should have more power when it comes to certain things that other branches of leadership have no idea about? Like I said this in a previous episode where I was like, you know, the CEO shouldn't be involved or it shouldn't be the CEO's like thing on his plate about return to office. It should be HR's because they're the, they're the ones, sorry, or her or them. Um, or them. I, I whenever I when I use pronouns, I use my own pronouns as the replacement pronoun. But I apologize. I'll stop hassling um, you now. <laughs> but no, you won't. No, you won't. Um, but but either way, I think it's you know not that it's not important, but they're not. That's not their battle as a CEO, right? Mm-hmm. CEO has bigger fish to fry. So, do you think that HR, depending on what what the topic is, should have more authority on those things? or have more of a voice um i definitely think they should have more of a voice um to your point i think that there's a lot of things that people that work in different spaces of business just have no idea how the operating reality actually looks like to your point return to office um i can tell you that's not how it goes and it's more about hr earning a seat at the table um this just gets back to that as a, a, a function in business, it's non-production. We're not generating any sort of revenue for the organization. So a lot of it comes down to like the viewpoint of the CEO and the VPs of how they, how they view HR. Is it an asset or are they going to be a roadblock to us doing what we want to do? Um, so one of the first things that they teach you in if you're going to pursue a career in HR is that you have to learn how to advocate for yourself learn it, earn a seat at the table so that those higher ups do take you seriously. And when you have valid, well-researched, founded suggestions and recommendations that they actually listen to you. Um, so yeah, I, I think that you're spot on in saying that there are things that HR should just have full control over. I just don't think that's ever going to be the case. So to what you just said, do you think a lot of HR departments kind of like don't push it or don't fight it too hard because they're like, oh, they're just going to replace me or change like things 
like if you're chief HR officer and you, you, you don't want to fight the CEO on something because you don't want to be seen as a roadblock that needs to be removed. Do you think that's that's part of it? I mean, I think that's a very personal, like person to person type question. Um, I think a lot of it, though, is more about being very diplomatic and trying to find common ground where everyone's at least a little bit happy. Um, not necessarily like I'm going to back down so that you get what you want. It's more like let's, you know, keep it even keel and, you know, find a solution that could work for the majority and not necessarily just a, a specific subsect of people. I always like think through, I don't remember what we were talking about before too. So from, I always try and think from like the alternate perspective, like from the CEO perspective, obviously like they're smart fucking people. Like they, most of them, some sort of smarts to get them where they got to be. (laughs) (laughs) We can go at that. It would be a whole nother conversation. I won't even go down, but, um, I try and like think through like their logic, obviously of like, from my perspective, it's like CEOs are focused on like numbers and financial gain, like in some aspect or capacity for the business. So it's like, okay, what are, what factors are they looking at that are prioritized over employee retention and attrition numbers that supersede that being a higher priority for them? So it's, because we, we all, like in your dissertation too, you talked about, I don't remember exact numbers, but you I believe you talked about the cost of attrition. And I, I don't, was it like, I think it was like 3% an employee's salary loss. Oh, it's way more than 3%. Or it's, 30% or something. Th- it might be 30%. Yeah. I can't remember the exact figure, but it, attrition is expensive. I mean, you have to yeah. consider, first of all, the person you're losing is taking knowledge with them. Mm-hmm. They're going to have, what, like a two-week trans knowledge Offboard, transfer yeah. period. You're going to have to pay for an in-house or out, out of um, or out of the organization recruiter to replace them. That takes mm-hmm. time, effort. How long is it going to take them to fill the role? Mm-hmm. Um, then when you bring the person on, you know, you're paying them a new salary at whatever the fair market rate is for the moment. You have to train them. You have to invest in their benefits package. Like, there's a whole slew of costs associated with turnover that I feel like people just do not ever think about. Yeah. When I say people, I mean executives that want to fire people. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, so it's okay if they leave, we'll just replace them. Like, no, that's expensive. Yeah. yeah I think it's like, if you want to look at the bottom line. Yeah. I think that's like that factor is lost. Obviously I'm like so far removed from a CEO level. So I'm, I'm sure there's stuff I'm not aware of, but I feel like, especially right now in this market, because the supply and demand has shifted and now supply is a lot higher than demand, I think a lot of the perspective, and and I hear this in my day-to-day now too, is like, oh, like if we lose this person, it's okay. Like it won't be that hard to find someone else. But I think the factor of that cost loss is what's missing in that conversation. And there and there's a way to calculate that, but <clears throat> but no one like uses those calculations. There's like a way to be like, all right, if we lost an employee, what does it cost us, right? And it's like that's never that's never ever discussed, which I feel like it should be. Whether it's attrition, whether you're you're letting someone go, it's like you need to know what 
what's the cost differential when you're when you're making these decisions um, and hr might know that number but the but the person making the decision might not be conferring with hr and trying to figure that out they're just like oh okay like you know this is what we're gonna do um yeah yeah okay so my can- next question sorry no go do go, you want to go no no no. i'll you go. go you go i'll go you go um okay so i had down some of the reasons that you noted noted from your research um in regards to mass layoffs and the mass the great resignation being remote and hybrid work options reprioritization of values work-life balance and reevaluating career paths those were the the core ones that i pulled if i'm missing any sorry um (laughs) but can you dive a little bit deeper in each of those areas and what you found as to like why those were key reasons why people left or, re- or resigning can you say them again what? yeah <laughs> you're like it's been I a year to write them down <laughs> it was remote and hybrid work options so that like these were the big reasons why people were were leaving their companies or their jobs or their industries remote and hybrid mm-hmm. work options reprioritization of values work-life balance and re-evaluating career paths which that last one I found interesting because I I think we've seen too like there's been so many people who've like like I feel like there was like a really strong pull this is going a little on a tangent but a really strong pull of teachers moving into Mm -hmm. the tech space which I found to be really cool um so it's, it's just so interesting especially when you see like less societally common. Does that make sense? We're making up that term. Less societally common. You know what I mean. Where like someone takes like a total pivot, but it like makes sense. Like the skills and competences that they have align. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say uh, teachers specifically because my aunt was a teacher mm. for 23 years. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic, she got a job as a data analyst. Like, Oh, my God. Really? She was a math teacher. Yeah. Oh, wait. Tell us more. That's really cool. Um, did it, was, she, was it like a, something she'd always wanted to do? Like, how did she pivot? Um, she was just sick and tired of the way that teaching has changed over the years. Underfunded. And, I mean, yeah. underfunded. <laughs> and she works in an underprivileged school district. So, mm-hmm. um just you know it was not a good environment mm-hmm. um there's also generationally speaking been a shift in like i'm gonna say parenting styles like mm. i feel like when we were growing up our parents held us accountable for our actions and like if we mm. did bad on a quiz or something it was our fault mm-hmm. that's not the case anymore it's now the teacher's fault apparently that's if your so kid wild. behaves badly that's so or- wild to me yeah, so she was just done with dealing with parents and the administration that she was working for, whatever. Um. <laughs> it's like you're raising a generation of assholes if you're not holding them accountable. Like, they grow up thinking that they're, like, they're the shit. And it's just, yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I, I had, well, I had and, like, loud. never being held accountable for their actions. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's wild. But, yeah, so she, I think I think she hit her 23 and 23rd anniversary wow. and then she left. And is now a data analyst. analyst. That Mm -hmm. is so cool. Especially after being in the field so long. 
Was she like she's a math teacher, so she was probably like being a yeah, math teacher. She's probably like, perfectly true. equipped to get into like yeah. data analysis. Yeah, she's like super into Excel and all that. I was like, yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> How long has she been in the data analyst role now? Um, a little over a year. Whoa. Do you know if she enjoyed it or if she's enjoying it? She enjoys aspects of it. I know she's had a hard time kind of shifting from like. Being like a teacher, working yeah. in a school, and like into the corporate space where yeah. like you have to have your email up at all times, and like if you get an urgent email, you have to respond, like mm-hmm. that kind of yeah. stuff. I think she's had a little bit of like a learning curve Transition. with, but generally yeah. speaking, she loves it, and she works remote now, so she doesn't have to wow. leave her house. We, we like, gotta get her. We gotta get her on the show. I'm yeah. not even joking. I'm <laughs> not even kidding. A little guest. bit. If you're okay with it, that yeah, no, that's like that's that's incredible, right? Like that kind she of. She doesn't shift. work for a tech company though. She works for a college. Data is data. Yeah. Okay. Like data in industry, one way, shape, people. or form, it, it turns into tech in some way. You use the word data on your resume, you'll, someone will reach out to you and say like, "Hey, I have a data role," and then you're like, "I'm a recruiting manager. What are you talking about?" It happened to me. But anyway, I digress. That so was really you cool. I need to go original in question. Depth yeah. On. <laughs> Why the I chose why. these reasons. Okay. Yeah. So remote hybrid, I feel like that's quite obvious. Um, yeah. As everyone was like pushed to be remote as an essential part of business during COVID, I think people started to really enjoy it and see that there's um, a lot of advantages to working from home. There's yeah. definitely the you know, the side of it where people were really struggling mentally, weren't doing well, being at home all the time, lacking socialization. Um, there can be trouble with creating organizational culture remotely. I totally mm-hmm. acknowledge that that all exists. But the vast, vast majority of exiting employees that I spoke to, I actually think it was almost all of them, wanted remote opportunity or at least hybrid flex scheduling mm-hmm. ability. Um mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things that kept coming up over and over again was that their organization would say, oh, we want to be flexible, but we have a return to office plan and you're going to have to come back by this date. So Mm. people were starting to say, okay, well, then I'm going to go look somewhere where it's a 100% remote job and I don't have to deal with this BS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Reprioritization of values this was one that came up a lot as well where people were just you know in the midst of a global pandemic where we're all like scared for our lives like if i go outside am i gonna die like Mm -hmm. i think people were really starting to realize that work shouldn't be the epicenter of their life and that they should have more of a personality than just what they do for work (laughs) yeah Um, particularly people that had children um, that i spoke to loved being able to be more present in their children's lives. Mm. They got to, you know, go to soccer practice or, like, just be at home and have a movie night because they weren't Mm -hmm. spending two hours in traffic coming home. Like, it just made them realize there's people out there dying from COVID. Like, what is really important to me? Is it this job that I slave away at that they're paying me measly wages for that I have to go schlep, you know two hours of LA traffic too like (laughs) yep just like generally speaking people were starting to reprioritize what was important to them and work was falling lower and lower on the priority list Mm -hmm. and I think because of that people were starting to look for 
jobs that fit more in into their lifestyle than adjusting their lifestyle to Ooh, work. Yes. Yep. Hundred percent. Um, work life balance. I think that just kind of feeds into both of the things I just talked about. Um, yeah. Remote hybrid. You have so much control over, you know, work life balance. Um, work isn't everything. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You should be able to shut your laptop at the end of the day and not have to worry until, you know, the next day. Yeah. And, but it's also been proven. It's not like it's not like you're shutting your laptop laptop and like sacrificing productivity. It's been proven that remote you are work, more productive. If yeah. You can have like a set time that you're working at. Yep. Also, just like mentally speaking, like you shouldn't be expected to be on 100 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. This is something that me and my coworkers um, have talked about before. In a remote setting, I keep having to, like, force myself to take breaks. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm thinking about if I were in the office, I would, you know, I'd stop by Franny's office and have a little (laughs) chit-chat. I'd go out to lunch with my coworkers for an hour. Like, that's okay to do at home, too. Just because I have the luxury. Yeah. All like yeah. there'll be days where I'm like, holy shit! I've literally been sitting here for three hours straight, and I haven't even stood up. It's bad, mm-hmm. but it's so true. No, I was gonna say before we started the podcast, I would just randomly ping Franny and be like, "Hey, what's up?" Like, let's bullshit for like fifteen <laughs> minutes and just like talk necessary. about life. It is necessary. It's very like that's that's the thing. If anything is missing from remote work, it's that that like natural mm-hmm. whatever right not doing you have to be work a lot more just... intentional about it exactly because yes. you will sit at your desk yep. and be like oh i forgot to eat today like that that's yes that fran will tell you that happens to me all the time um yeah. but it it will happen where you're just like working and working and you're just like in a zone and no one's around to bother you so you're just like going at it and then it's like well damn i'm i'm really tired now yeah my but, like we had yeah. talked about this in the last episode too like my boss had done like a like pulled a study from like recruiter productivity during the pandemic when everyone was forced to work from home and it was significantly increased but we like we talked about this in a in a past episode too where we we went over work from home versus return to office and there's obviously like both sides like there's a ton of benefits to be in office and reasons why companies want employees to be in office which some of them like 100% I feel have merit but at the end of the day, I, like I'm a big proponent of hybrid and having that flexibility because of all the reasons that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I had um, one HR leader that I interviewed where she said, quite frankly, the only reason we're forcing people back into the office is because we pay for property in downtown Los Angeles. Yes. That's very expensive. And we want people inside of it. Wild. And I feel like that's not a good enough reason. (laughs) Not for us, no. Not for us from an employee perspective. From our perspective, yes. From a bottom line CEO perspective, I get it. I get it. I mean, but there's alternatives, right? They they could sublease the space. They can can sublease Mm -hmm. a lot of the space. Like, you can... Again, like, are you asking questions? Are you asking what percentage of my employees are are wanting to be remote? Oh, 65%. Okay, let's take the... Uh, Mr. CEO, you know, you, you ask the question, we give you the answer. 65% of your people want to be remote, then sublet some of your office space. Um, mm-hmm. Again, we're not CEOs. We're not pretending to be CEOs. We don't know the exact details, but 
one day often we can see that these <laughs> questions aren't even asked at that level the the last one i wanted to ask about was um the the common reason that you had written your dissertation too was around um people reevaluating career paths mm -hmm. was that triggered from the pandemic and then what were people like were people doing like 180s into like totally different like what kind of takeaways were people sharing in terms of switching career paths um i don't think it was necessarily triggered by mm. the pandemic i think it was just a product of other things that were coming to the surface like lack of career growth lack of professional development they mm. weren't seeing the trend in compensation that they were hoping to see so it all just kind of culminated as like, I'm just going to completely switch what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think it also kind of ties in a little bit to the reprioritization of just like values and what uh, you want out of life. Yeah. Um, because people were also reporting that they felt unfulfilled in what they were doing and they felt mm -hmm. like it was meaningless and that they wanted to actually pursue something that made them feel productive is not the right purposeful yeah purpose driven yeah yeah purpose driven like they wanted to feel like they wanted what they were doing to light their soul on fire and you know whatever it was they were doing wasn't doing it for them yeah were you i i don't recall this but because that makes me think about i think like generationally how people view work in their life is so different were it is age range of people were you talking to and did that factor in so the age ranges were definitely, it, like, the two different groups had different age ranges. The HR leadership yeah. was older, which makes sense. Um, yeah. I'd have to look to give you the exact age range, yeah, but funny. I think it ranged from, like, 35 to, like, late 50s. And mm. then the exiting employees were, like, early 20s through late 30s. Mm. Um, and so to your point, the generational... Um, kind of switch I was seeing was a lot of the the younger folks that were like you know our grandparents generation lived to work like they did that because they yeah. had to and now I think just like generationally culturally whatever you want to call it there's been a shift where people don't do that anymore and they work because they want to live mm -hmm. and it's not their entire personality anymore like if you were to go and introduce yourself, would you say, you know, I'm a recruiter? People ask, what do you like, do? Yep. Yeah. And it's that's like not so question. much, I don't want to say uh, across the, I don't want to make a generalization that no one does that anymore, but I feel yeah. like maybe millennials, Gen Z are starting to move away from that and they don't want to be defined by their job because they're not trying to like be the girl boss and like, mm -hmm. you know, climb There's the a new corporate term. ladder. Shit, what is it? There's been like a new term I've been hearing out there where it's like, it's like literally the opposite of girl boss. It's like living your best life. Uh, if it comes to me, I'll spread it out. Yeah, but. please share. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the thought that like, you know, I, I work because I have to and I have to pay my bills, but I'm not trying to like go above and beyond because I just want to enjoy my life. Mm hmm. So to be devil's advocate ish. <laughs> Um, feel free <laughs> there there are well not, not really devil's advocate but I'm, I'm agreeing with you but I'm, I'm asking maybe an unpopular question so there's like articles now that's like oh like 
millennials aren't buying houses and like there was a stupid stupid I article. wish like, I could buy a house there, there's like there's like millennials don't don't Damn. buy enough diamonds as they're as they're like what? you know the previous generations there's like there's articles like that out there oh, okay. um my question is does that mindset cause you not to be in a position to maybe quote unquote maximize the earning potential our previous generations did or maximize the growth potential our previous generations did because um you know like I'm a millennial like so I'll say my generation and below aren't as career, not career driven, but like that's not where they find fulfillment, which is again, totally cool. And, and your quality of life might be better. Um, but the thought process comes down to did our previous generations like urge to be their jobs? Yeah. Be their jobs, cause them to be able to now, again, this is not, I know the numbers and stuff in my head. I'm just posing the question. So when the comments attack me, don't attack me. <laughs> Um, but that's the question that I would pose to have the discussion that we're about to have. Um, I think that there's probably some validity to that. At the same time, our dollar today does not go as far as it did back then. Um, you know, I, even my parents' generation, they're, um, Gen X's. When they built their house, they were able to get a mortgage with like a pinky promise, you know, like. They didn't have a town payment. I love that. They didn't, you know, they didn't have to do all that. That was like before they, you know, completely did redid the housing market and whatever. Um, I think that previous generations, it's maybe been a little bit easier for them to attain that. So having the goal post closer to them made it actually seem reachable. Like right now, our generation's looking at houses that are a million dollars. Like that's not attainable for the vast majority of people. Yeah. I don't know if this is answering your question the way that you wanted it to, but I just... I I, I didn't have a way that I wanted it to. I just wanted to have the discussion. (laughs) But I think that's a very interesting thought process that because it seems unattainable, we're no longer really looking at it. We're looking at how can we enrich our lives outside of the goalposts that previous generations Mm. use that that's a very interesting thought process well and i think also there's maybe been a little bit of a shift in like how valuable is it to buy a house i see a lot of millennials that are actually okay with renting now because it gives them more freedom they're not tied down to a specific place Mm -hmm. um they can invest that money elsewhere not necessarily in the stock market or not necessarily in um real estate estate, but in stock I think it just depends on what you find valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I like totally that. How do you how do you want to spend your time? Traveling. That's another thing. I feel like our generation <laughs> I was gonna say our gener I think our generation travels more. Yeah. And like yeah. comparable time periods. I think we travel a lot more. Like I don't know. I have no data for this. Zero. Um but Alan I feel I like from what data. I remember. And you. Uh, well, well, that's, that's for, no, that's for that's for our generation. But I'm saying I don't know yeah. what Gen okay, X okay, was okay. doing. Obviously, not before Gen X, you know, when you had to take boats to get to, like, England, you weren't traveling as much. But um, I'm saying for, like, one generation up. And I'm, I mean, mm. that was a joke because even, even before that, obviously, planes have been around for a couple of generations. Three. <laughs> but um, three or four before I think me. social media plays a huge role, though, in why mm. our generation travels so much. But they're able to because they're not looking for that house, though. Like, that's an extra... Right. You know, it's right. an extra X hundred thousand dollars that you're not spending or having to pretend to pay money for um, or a down payment or whatever. So you so you travel and we travel more. So that's kind of where we're moving it to. 
Um, yeah, I mean, exactly. Instead of, you know, buying a house, getting married when you're 22, you're going to college, getting a job, traveling, and then maybe in your 40s you think about buying a house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big, like, that's a big thought. gap and shift for sure. Um, Interesting thought. Next question I have. Um, I was shocked by this. Not overly shocked. But still pretty damn shocked. One of the participants in your dissertation said, I had an inflatable mattress in my back seat. So I would drive at five in the morning, get there at six, and just sleep in the back seat of my car until 8 a.m. I was shooketh. They, and I, I, wow. I, I, I am, my assumption would be because. They probably had a really bad commute to the office. So instead of. Yeah, they lived outside of. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, they lived outside of uh, L.A. County and they were commuting Mm. into L.A. County. Which is wild. Like, I get it. I'm sure plenty of people do that. But like, that's. That that was their reason for. For. I believe they said it was like a three hour commute. So, like, if you wanted to get there at 8, it would be three hours? Mm-hmm. My goodness. So, instead of doing Each that, way. They... Each yep. way. Instead of doing that, they get up at, or leave at 5. So, assuming they get up around 4 or something and sleep in the car until they start at work. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. But I'm sure so many people do that. And, like, for me, like, I think the longest commute I've ever done was about hour, hour and a half each way. But even, like at mm-hmm. agency days, we would be I would be doing like two hours each way sometimes across town. Yeah. And towards the end of tech systems, I was doing a two hour commute. Yeah. Which is insane. And like one hundred percent that was just like I felt like that was like normalized though, especially like in the in the big city here. So I didn't it like really sucked, but I didn't really feel like I had the option to like go find another job with that being the only reason. But I do feel like, like you were saying before, I feel like with the, 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 um, the great resignation, that 100% is a big factor for people. If, if there was higher demand than supply, which I think there was obviously previously, it's shifted now, but I think like timeline speaking back then, 100% like I think pe- people had a stark realization being forced to work from home like holy heck this is what I'm missing out on four hours plus a day of being in my car free time has become more valuable yeah I was just shocked I like I know that happens but just like hearing someone someone's like direct experience of that's how they've that's had New to Jersey adjust. to DC three hours New Jersey to DC that's just the yeah. first thing I thought about that's yeah i was i was really shocked um that wasn't really a question that was more just (laughs) a take with you i'm also (laughs) shocked by that but not actually shocked yeah all right so i don't think i actually asked the question from way before so i'm gonna ask it now unless you answered it and i blanked which i don't think i did so now that you're on the other side like, did, did, does your views on your research, do you look at it a little bit differently by any chance? Um, 
I try to look at it from more than one perspective now, I guess. When I was in the moment, I was like, you know, kind of what you said, for the people. Like, <laughs> give, give the people what they want. And now I feel like I'm trying to be more realistic and, like, using that research um, to inform, like, what I maybe would recommend or what I think an organization should do. Um, but I'm trying to be more realistic about what's actually attainable. Um, you know, it would be great if everyone could, you know, be 100% remote and we sh- could invest tons of money in professional development and everyone can do what they want at work and we'll promote everyone and it's going to be great for everyone in the organization. And that's just, you know, living in the clouds and not really reality. Um, so I think using the research that I've done to, I don't, I don't even, what am I trying to say? Using the, (laughs) I like know where I want to get it and I'm like trying to get there. We can talk through it with you. Just start spitting stuff out. (laughs) Well, I think I get the point you were initially going at, which is like, it'd be great to give everyone what they want, but we have to be a bit more logical in terms of like using this data to get people into better places but we can't you know every if you know everyone can't be remote all the time and they shouldn't like honestly like some there are organizations companies people that need to be in offices or yeah you know Mm -hmm. some people don't deserve to get promoted and some people don't deserve to get their full like you know merit to seven percent rather than one percent because they did one percent worthy work right so like we can't just give things away but we try to do good when we can that's what I got one, from what you were saying. One point I will stand by, though, is that organizations do need to invest in professional development programming. Mm. I feel like a lot of organizations are really lazy about that, and it is one of the biggest reasons that people were leaving, at least yeah. like, of people I spoke to. I totally agree I stand with that. by that point. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a very valid point. I think L&D in a lot of companies isn't utilized in the best way possible, where it's like it's not – it's like, oh, like we want to do a new, I don't know, like we want to do a new process for this. We'll get L&D to do it rather than being like, oh, our people need to learn how to get promoted and learn X, Y, Z skills. Let's get L&D because sometimes it's like, oh, you're the manager. OK, you set up the, the learning plan for them or the path forward, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But I think getting L&D involved, it's, it's professional learning. Right. So it's, it's going to be better. And that doesn't happen always. I think that is also a generational shift, though. And I I because I, I think. I don't think, I think we kind of had this at agency days, L, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't, I don't think we had ever, like there was, I don't think there was a specific arm of our company that had learning and development, like as their sole priority. I think the first time I experienced it was at my first like in-house recruiting corporate role after agency. But I think like very much, I think like older generations, it's like, I could definitely like see the perspective of like learning and development, like you're here to work, like that's on you to go learn more and outside of work, like you're here for a job and to it's work. It's employee led. Yes, yes. But I think it's like that, that ownership of who's responsible for that and what, what value it's, I think it's not now just what value is the employee bringing to the employer I think just as much now it's what value is the employer bringing to the employee so you can retain them. Absolutely. And it's beneficial for the employer to do that 
you know, upskilling people who you already have on your workforce, succession yeah. planning, where are you going to move them to fill gaps in the future? Like, this goes back to that turnover um, attrition rate. Like, it's expensive mm-hmm. to replace people. You should try to use the people you already have and, you know, try to cultivate them into the role that you want them to end up in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like upskilling. Yeah. Obviously, it's a benefit for them, but like upskilling them for the needs of your company as well. So they stay and then you just have to backfill their role they were in. Yeah. Thank you for explaining my thoughts, because that is exactly what I was trying to say, but you said it better. We got you covered. <laughs> um, what else did I have? I think I had a couple other questions here. Um, I might be going back and forth a little bit too, though, but this was something I was curious about. What, so there's, from from some of the points that some of your inner, sorry, I don't know appropriate um, dissertation terminology, but... <laughs> The people you are interviewing. <laughs> participants. Uh, participants, thank you. <laughs> Lord help me if I ever have to write a dissertation. Um, there seem to be a consistent draw to big brand company names. And I think I think this is a part of society, not just like careers and like job, like looking at jobs. I think big brand names, obviously, there's so much like psychology around that, but there seemed to be a consistent draw to big brand name companies to incentivize someone to leave or take a new role. So like, obviously someone would be like, Oh, like Google reached out to me or Amazon reached out to me. Why do you think brand names matter? And like, what's that pull in people leaving current roles? Um, I think the answer to this is twofold. The first being branding, you know, if you see a logo in your face every day and you know it's a big shiny company that's doing really well and it's mm-hmm. going to look great on your resume, of course you're going to want to, you know, get that experience. The second part of that is budget. If they're a big company that's doing well, the Googles, the Facebooks, you know, they have the budget to create the programming that everyone in my dissertation was asking for. Um they have the funds for professional development. They can, you know, push you along in your career. They have lots of different levels in their hierarchy. Um, they can invest in benefits if you're looking for benefits. If someone I talked to wanted, you know, really strong maternity leave, and that's why she ended up um, going to a bigger company. Um, they are in with the trends because they're larger, and they have, like, maybe research that's going into the decisions that they're making. So... They're okay with you being remote or they're okay with you being hybrid and flexible in your work schedule as long as you're performing and meeting your KPIs. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to just bigger companies have bigger budgets and that goes further. They can pay more competitively. Um, those bigger companies are really the ones that are setting the industry trends. And unfortunately, the smaller organizations that maybe aren't performing at that level just can't match. The competition in the market is just, is brutal. Yeah. But outside of compensation, I feel like those smaller companies like to be more desirable to to employees, like they could embrace some of the other things that, that you mentioned to like, you know, and I'm using remote just because it's it's one of the biggest topics that's been happening lately. But it's like, okay, I'm a small company. I can't pay a ton. I'll be more flexible for whether whether it's remote, whether it's, any of these other things you advertise how upward mobile your teams are, L and D, like all that not L and D. Yeah, L and D, learning and development. Um, 
all that stuff to make yourself more desirable, right? Because you and you can be upfront with it where you're like, because because like I think some companies have an opposite problem where they're really big but their culture isn't awesome, so they're like, mm-hmm. we'll just pay you double what everyone else gets because our culture is not great. So I think I doing the inverse say- makes sense. I think the difference here is that a larger, well-established company has a more robust culture and a small, I assume you're talking about like a startup. Those cultures can be really difficult in environments to work in. Um, A lot of butting heads, small team, too many cooks in the kitchen type of situation. Um, I think larger companies tend to have more of a strategy when it comes to how they're creating culture. And smaller organizations, it just kind of happens more organically. And it just, you know, there's not really anyone making decisions (laughs) about it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Totally. Um, Last one I think I had. And then Shuba, if you have any more. Um, We... Oh, I already asked that one. What would you say... From this is a back to like a personal take for you. For someone who is trying to get their oh shoot, I forgot this before. It's not your it's your master of science. I messed this up before. What's it called? I said it wrong before. Master of Science in Human Resource Management. Thank you. <laughs> you were like What did I say you before? Yeah, um oh what is it called? I was saying it wrong. And, I'm sure it was hilarious. And, MBA. MA? MBA. You thought I got an MBA. MBA. I was like, I did not get an Sorry. MBA. Please don't say that. It's a blur. It's a blur for me. I only have my bachelor's. Um, for someone who is curious about taking that next level or looking at like a next level of education, what do you feel like the pros and cons are from your experience? Uh, cons are cost and time. Um, Mm. not everyone is privileged enough to have the funds or the time to pursue Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, that is the truly, truly the only con that I have. My experience was very positive. I enjoyed all of the classes I took. I met tons of people from all around the world because I did my degree abroad. Mm -hmm. I gained a lot of tactical experience um you know one of the projects we did was working with a consultancy on an actual client that they were engaged with Mm. um which was really cool um and i did it in a year instead of two years because i did it in ireland so Mm -hmm. i i had a really really positive experience i think that if someone wants to pursue a master's in hr it's a great option i don't think it's a requirement Mm. Um, for me and what I needed for my own like confidence level, my own um, career progression, it made the most sense for me, but I don't think it's necessary 100% of the time. Um, I think typically organizations value actual experience over educational. So if you're, you know, just working in the career progression, you know, whatever the ladder is for the organization you're working for, that's fine. That works too. Mm-hmm. I think that um, getting accreditation from different HR governing bodies is always a good idea. I have mm. my SHRM certification, HRCI, mm. PHR. I'm going to sign up for one. Ooh, which one? <laughs> I was looking at uh, an annual SHRM membership as well. I think I'm going to sign up. 
Just the membership, or are you going to take the test? Oh, wasn't aware of a test. Please tell me more about that. There's two different things. You can have a membership. Okay. So the membership, it just gives you access to all the different resources that they have. I use Uh it for my job every day. Uh Every single day. Uh, Rather that's researching, like, legal updates. Um, Yeah, I was like, employment They have sample policy. Yeah, they've got lots of different stuff. They do webinars on different topics. Mm -hmm. I use it a lot for, like, benefits stuff. Mm. Um, and then, so that's the membership side. Mm-hmm. The other side is being SHRM CP, so a SHRM Certified Professional mm-hmm. or a SHRM Senior Certified Professional. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, an accreditation. You have to take a test, and it, if you pass it, it just accredits that you are a, a, a seasoned HR professional by yeah. SHRM standards. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how hard was this test? I haven't taken one in, like, a decade. Um, I passed it on the first go. But she got her master's in HR. She got her master's in HR. I just, I took it when I was working for tech though. So back in 2019. So it was, I took it a while ago. Okay. Okay, I'm like, okay. I think you can pass it. You just have to put on the like, what what an organization do. Yes. It's long though. It's like a Abacadabba. Abacadabba. It's like a four-hour test that you have to sit oh, for, but it is Lord. all multiple choice. You're talking her out huh. of it. Like, if she literally yeah. went from, I might do the test to, I'm done. Yeah. Four hours, she's done. We'll uh, see. No, nah, Fran. You can, you can definitely cool. do it if you that. choose to or not. Yeah. That's what it is. I think we'll you see. could do it. I have lots of study Thank guides you. if you want them. Okay. Oh, I'm going to hit you back up if I do decide to do that. Actually, <laughs> DJ asked me for advice uh, on that. I was like, let me send you everything I have. Yeah, literally all my shit. Okay, that's totally... I, I honestly, I was need to do more research about it, but that's good to know. I didn't know that. Um, Shubo, any other questions we didn't cover? Uh, No, I, th- I think we're actually uh ready for the, the Deer Tech FAQs. What do you think, Fran? Yay. Yep. Do you want to let okay. us lead them? Yeah, I'll do the I'll do the FAQs you summarize. Cool. cool. Good deal. Good deal. All right. So, uh, L, you you probably don't know what these are because we made these up like five minutes ago. <laughs> um, so basically, no, no. at the end, five at the no, 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 we, yeah, um, <laughs> not much better. <laughs> um, so we have five questions that we'll ask you, kind of sort of rapid fire, um, not about your dissertation or about HR. It's about you. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all. <laughs> All personal, personal questions. I saw you get ready. You were like, all right, here we go. Like, oh, God, what are <laughs> is this multiple die? choice? She was wondering, is this multiple choice? I'm testing on um, your dissertation. C, C, C. No, this is, this is just, uh, we want to get to know you better. We want our audience to, to get to know you better. So the first question is, what is the best advice you have ever received from someone? Generally speaking, um, I know I've heard this over and over in my life, so I don't have, like, one particular person that I can, like, cite as the original advice giver. Um, But just caring less about what people think of you, it's something that I've really actively been working on now that I've come into my 30s. I just don't give a shit what people think anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do and what makes me happy and... Love that for if you. If I if someone has a problem with that, it's a them problem, not a me problem. Hell yeah, love Hell that yeah. for love you. That. Um, what is a what is one of your favorite quotes or sayings? It can be a Taylor Swift quote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I Alice literally Swift have Taylor team. Swift lyrics on tattooed on my body. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I have on my hip, and I will hold on to you, which is from Taylor Swift's New Year's Day. Me, my sister, and our mutual bestie have it, and the song is really just about, like, unconditional love and friendship and, like, uh, being there for each other, even, though, like, during the lows. Love that. I love Everybody. Taylor Swift. Who doesn't love Taylor, Sorry, Taylor I Swift? Had to, I had to bring up Taylor Swift. <laughs> I love everybody loves Taylor Swift. Um, besides the haters, but we don't we don't listen to them. Um, what is the best thing you've ever been gifted? Easy, easy, easy question. Um, so Fran knows this. I had a little miniature dachshund named Coco who just passed away in March. Um, she was almost seventeen years old. And she was my 13th birthday present from my parents, and she's the best gift I've ever received. Wow. That is that is beautiful. Long, full life. Um, yeah, that is that is a full life. Um, okay, what is one of or the guilty pleasure that you have? Oh my gosh, I have so many. Nice. <laughs> um, it was a list. Here we go. Well, I'm a big reader. I don't know if Ooh. I should be guilty about that. Well, I love no. romance novels, so maybe oh, I'm guilty okay, yeah. about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love reading uh, chocolate. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, binge watching TV shows. Like, I literally will wait for a show to have all of the all to come out. I'll wait for it to be done. <laughs> yeah, like to be completely done, so that I can binge watch it in a day. So, so this isn't this is not an FAQ. Give us your top three binge worthy TV shows of all time, if you could. Oh, not of in order. All time, okay. Game of Thrones, mm. just because okay. it's so it's so intricate and it's long. It'll take you a good chunk of time. Yep. Parks and Recreation, okay. classic. Okay. And what's something I've recently binge watched? This isn't like a favorite of all time, but the most recent one I watched was The Witcher. And I really enjoyed that. Okay. Very diverse. Very diverse uh, choices. I like it. Henry Cavill in a white long wig. (laughs) Without a shirt. I don't know who that is. Facts. It's so good. It's on Netflix. I'll Google it after this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's magic and sword fighting. I'll add it to my list. Okay. Okay. And the last question, because there's supposed to be five, because we didn't count the last one. Uh, What is one piece of advice you would give to someone trying to get into your field? I would say be adaptable um, as much as you can. The field, particularly particularly in the past five years, has changed a lot um, just with general changes that have happened because of the pandemic and just the way that the workforce is going. Um, be open to change. Try to be uh, agile and um, always be open to learning something new. Solid. All right. Those were our FAQs. Love it. Well, summarizing a little bit um, what we talked about today and having the lovely Elle here on the platform. We probably should have done more of a formal intro at the beginning, but sorry about that. People can look you up on LinkedIn if they want to find you. Add me on LinkedIn. (laughs) Um, But we really dove into Elle's thesis, which was titled Contrasting Perceptions of HR Leadership and Exiting. Um, which there was a ton of good takeaways on there on how or the reasons why employees were leaving, um, different 
different aspects of the population, what was causing them to leave, the great resignation obviously was the larger focus of the the dissertation. Um, We talked about your thoughts and perceptions on how um, all of that, all those takeaways have shifted in the last year, obviously with supply and demand of the workforce changing so drastically. Um, We talked about the benefits of getting your uh, master of science, master's, master. Masters? Masters. 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 Thank you. <laughs> um, it's going to stick in my head one at one point. Um, and the benefits of doing it abroad. Um, less cost, only one year and abroad. All three benefits. Um, anything else I missed? Anything else you wanted to share that we didn't cover? No. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. I'm like, you so, so glad that you us. asked me because... You guys both were participants in my study, yes. so it all kind of came full circle. <laughs> it was perfect. It really I, did. I straight up, not going to lie, I was like, I don't remember what I said. Like, which one of these was me? <laughs> oh, I, I, ha- I have all of the recordings still, so if you want me yeah. to send you yours. Oh, I, 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 straight I, up know, I know which one I am. I looked for I looked for my age oh. and my gender and then my title, and I was like, oh, that's me. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that I, part. I'm very I I'm legit very don't remember what I said. I'm very self-centered, so I was like, "Who am I in this?" Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, and this was this was awesome.